Well, g'day everyone again. Um, this is becoming a habit. But never mind. Um, next week we've got the, uh, the great pleasure of Darren preaching to us on chapter 4 of Jonah. So um, if, you, if you haven't been uh, along before, which I know some of you haven't, this is number 3 in, in a four-part series on the book of Jonah. Uh, and so just to recap, Jonah, who is a prophet of, of the Lord in, uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel, about 740 BC, somewhere around there, uh, he's called by God to go and take a message to the great city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. At the time, Assyria was threatening the northern kingdom of Israel with destruction. Uh, so uh, Jonah decided this wasn't a good thing to do so he, instead he went the other way went down to Joppa got on a ship and set off for Tarshish which is in modern day Spain uh, so he's basically going the opposite direction to Nineveh and then a great storm comes up uh, the sailors find out that Jonah is running away from the God who made heaven and earth so uh, Jonah tells them that if he gets tossed overboard well then everything will be good which they duly did uh, God appointed a great fish to come and swallow Jonah he spent three days three nights in the fish during which time he cried out to God and uh, and God rescued him and and he was duly vomited onto a beach by the somewhere by the fish and so that's where we we take up the story today So a second time, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Arise and go to Nineveh and call out against it the message that I tell you. Well, Jonah has by this time learned his lesson and this time he goes. God can't be ignored like Jonah ignored God the first time. Well, we can, he, he can be ignored but he can't be ignored and then we expect that there won't be any consequences. Uh, this is not only a message for Jonah, but for, for all, all mankind. Uh, and especially in, in the Western world at the moment where to ignore God and to turn away from him has become fashionable. But we cannot expect that there won't be consequences. Maybe 50 years, maybe 100 years time, God doesn't act quickly. He's not. He is slow to anger, uh, but there will be a price to pay. Now, Nineveh, the city that Jonah was sent to, was three days' walk across. Uh, in fact, at the time, it was the biggest city in the world, and uh, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, uh, an empire that was pretty much on top of things at that stage. Uh, further down the track, the Babylonians would would take over as the, the major nation, but at this stage, Assyria was it, and uh, and they were they had ambitions to conquer all the countries around them, and they were known for their cruelty uh, to their enemies. So this is where where Jonah is, has been sent to. The mo the modern city of Mosul in Iraq, in the north of Iraq, is on the same site on the Tigris River. So. Um, Jonah lived, though, in, in evil times. It wasn't just the uh, Assyrians that were known for their cruelty and their evil. We, if we read in the, 
in the, the second book of Kings, which was the time of Jonah, uh, every king that came along for the northern kingdom of Israel starts off with, with the word saying that uh, this or that king did evil in the sight of the Lord. Every one of them. Uh, and the particular king that, that Jonah lived under was Jeroboam II. And you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 14. But this, the whole book really of Jonah is about God's mercy. Uh, first of all to Jonah in rescuing him from his backsliding and his running away uh, and reinstating him as a prophet. And also God's mercy to the Ninevites who were so lost in sin they didn't know their right hand from their left. They didn't know right from wrong. And Jonah had just experienced God's mercy, of course, because despite all his running away and uh, his ignoring of God's command, God had rescued him, miraculously rescued him, and brought him back into his presence and, and reinstated him as a prophet. And so he had a, a great idea, of, first of all, of his own unworthiness and also of God's grace. So God sends him to Nineveh. In a way, it's a, it reminds me of Isaiah's commission in, in chapter 6 of Isaiah where, where, God, uh, where Isaiah sees a vision of God and then God sends him to do a job uh, to preach to the, to the to people of Israel about how they were so lost in their sin and needed to repent. Except the difference is that with Isaiah, God told Isaiah that they wouldn't listen. They're not going to like, take this message to them, but they're not going to listen to you. They'll see and not see and they'll hear and not understand. But Jonah went with a, with a humble spirit, not knowing what the people of Nineveh would do, but he did suspect because he knew what God was like. He went with a, with a, with a, with a humble spirit and a spirit of gratitude to God because he'd been rescued despite his his obvious shortcomings. Humility and gratitude, the two marks of a, a true man or woman of God. Humility because we know who we really are and gratitude because God has overlooked that and done something about it and rescued us. So his message was yet 40 days and, and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. That, that was Jonah's message. You can, you can imagine why he was a little bit nervous. I, I, I kind of tried to picture him walking into Nineveh with all these crowds around and suddenly saying that. You know, did he kind of say it a bit quietly to start with and, and gradually gain confidence or something? But that was his message and it, to me it had echoes of, of, the, of Genesis 6 and the time before the flood where once, very like Nineveh, the, the people were given to all kinds of evil and, uh, and the world, we were told, was full of violence which was which very like night Nineveh. Wherever God's word is ignored, we find this. We find violence and corruption. Uh, the earth was corrupt and full of violence, we're told, in Genesis 6. But anyway, Jonah comes into Nineveh and, uh, and he finds this country that uh, doesn't know God, is doing everything against God, 
and is a place that is dangerous for their enemies and full of violence. Uh, we know this because the king later on says, let everyone turn from the violence in his hands. That, that was the sort of place that Nineveh was. And then we get this amazing miracle where the, just, just like that, you know, Jonah comes in and says, 40 days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. The next sentence, and the people of Nineveh believed God. It's amazing. They believed God from the least to the greatest. The king says, says well, who, who knows? Uh, maybe God will relent of his fierce anger against us. And in faith, they turn to God. It must be the greatest conversion of all time. Even the king humbles himself, hum humiliates himself even, knowing that all they deserve is God's wrath. They feared the God who made heaven and earth. And so at the end of 40 days, nothing happened. Life just went on as usual and the sun came up as it always had. Nineveh wasn't destroyed. And so I guess they started to think, well, maybe Jonah was wrong. Perhaps, perhaps we never were going to get destroyed. And we know this because we know that the people of Nineveh went back to their old ways very quickly. And in the end, they were destroyed about, uh, uh, when was it, uh, about 100 years after Jonah, there's another prophet in the Bible that speaks about the destruction of Nineveh, and that's Nahum, Nahum the prophet. Um, and he pronounced judgment against Nineveh and told them what was going to happen. And sure enough, in, a, in 612 BC, the Babylonians invaded Nineveh and completely destroyed it so that now all that's left is is a heap of ruins and that's of interest only to archaeologists and historians. Assyria was known for its lack of mercy, its cruelty and its violence, things that always accompany rampant sin. We saw that in, in Sodom and Gomorrah and in the days before the flood. Nahum described them as having unceasing evil. It's a bit like, like in, a, in our own time in the, with, with the Nazis, the, when they deliberately thumbed their nose at God, uh, what we saw was the outbreak of, of unceasing evil. An interesting little aside for Assyria is we see in Isaiah chapter 10, where uh, where God says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. So we see there that, that God is using Assyria to punish Israel, and yet he says woe to them for doing it, because that's what they wanted to do anyway. But God's going to make use of it but then he's going to judge them for it. So the king says, well, who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger, and so we may not perish. The king didn't know what God would do, but Jonah, he knew, he suspected, because he knew what God is like. 
Why did God forgive Nineveh? That's what that's one of the mysteries that that I I don't know the answer to. Why why did he warn them of what was coming? They're clearly questions that were troubling Jonah as well. The Assyrians at that time were harassing the northern kingdom of Israel and before long they'd completely invade them and, and carry them all off into exile and destroy any, any remnant of their civilization. Why would God forgive such an evil people? Well, the obvious question is why, why would he forgive me? We can't give any definitive reason like, well, he gave me because I'm actually a, you know, not a bad sort of bloke. Um, that's, that's not how it works. We, we have to remember that uh, even the people we like least in this world, the people who, who we really don't want to see in heaven, um, they're people that are made in the image of God. And his nature, his inclination is to forgive. That's what he's like, to have mercy. You know, some people think that God can't wait to send people to hell, especially the people that we don't like. But, but that's, that is not the God of the Bible. He says there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner than, that repents than over a hundred who did not need to repent. Well, what is God... What is God really like? I mean, this is a question that children often ask their parents. What is God like? Well, it's really important because we we know what we're like. So, so how will God deal with our problem of of sin? My problem of sin. It's interesting that that, that often when parents are asked. What, what is God like by a child, the first thing we will tend to say is, well, he's really big and he made, he made everything. It's sort of to, to emphasise the, the greatness and, and majesty and power of God, which is fair enough. He is all those things. But when, when Moses wanted to know what God was like and God had to describe himself to Moses, he didn't actually mention any of those things. What, what, what he said was that I am the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness and maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Now it's true that he went on to say that he, don't, that he will not clear the, those who are guilty of as well, but the characteristics that God describes Himself are, are compassion and graciousness, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's how God describes Himself. And so we can begin to understand why why He didn't destroy Nineveh. It was simply his nature. I mean, nature's not the right word, I know, because it kind of implies that he's created but, and he's not created. He is the creator. But it, but it is his nature to act that way. It's what he's like. That's what God's like. That is the nature and properties of Yahweh. His default position, if you like, is to forgive. 
if, if, if he was willing to forgive the, the city of Nineveh, a city known for its evil and its violence, then surely I think it's safe to say that he, that he will forgive me. He'll forgive us. And we can also understand then why, why it is that he sent Jesus, his own son, to suffer for us and to die in our place. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God can't go back on, on his own character, on his own nature, on what he, what he is. His very substance, his very being, he longs to forgive, to love and to be compassionate and gracious towards these ungrateful sinners that make up his church and that inhabit this world. Look, if you're looking for a book to read, I know some of you aren't readers, but perhaps you should be. There's a book in our church library called Gentle and Lowly. It's... Uh, it gives a great summary of the Bible's teaching on God's nature, on his, on his character. The, word, the words gentle and lowly come from Jesus' words that, you know, take my yoke upon me for, for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. Perhaps some of us have a, a faulty view of what God is like. You know, maybe we think of God as like one of our old teachers who used to be very harsh on us or something. But that, that, that isn't what God is like. Please, if, if you think that, um, read your Bible more because you'll find out actually what, what God is like, that he, he is compassionate and gentle and lowly and he longs for his people to, to turn to him and ask for forgiveness which he he freely gives and that's a pretty good uh, way to to lead us into communion where we we remember this characteristic of god that he sent his son to die for us because on the night that jesus was betrayed he he took some bread and and gave it to his disciples and said take and eat this for this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup and again he gave thanks and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many. Do this in remembrance of me.